Well, amen. I pray that, as Pastor Greg has already said, that uh, that song that we just ended our uh, worship time with, that we, would, that we would mean that more than just some words on a screen. Um, and if I'm being honest, I know if you're like me, we all just sang collectively as a church that I will build my life upon his love. I will trust in him alone. That's a, that's a, I don't know if you're like me sometimes. And I don't, I mean, just the Lord was just really, I don't know, sharing some things, just encouraging me. Um, but I think we sing those words sometimes in church and I don't know that we really honestly evaluate what that actually means. Like I will trust in him alone. That means apart from everything else. And so if you're like me and you have a habit of singing the song that's before you, looking at the words and singing the song and not maybe connecting it to where we're at emotionally, spiritually, just where we're at with our hearts and our minds, I pray that you would, first of all, know his grace is there. Because if you're like me, I did not this last week trust in him alone. Every single day, every single moment, I didn't do that this week. There was times things came up and I had a little worry. I had some fear. I had tried to fix some things, but aren't you thankful for grace this morning? Not as an excuse to just keep doing the same things over and over again, but as a way to understand, Lord, I, I failed. I, I, I messed up there. I should have trusted you and I trusted self or I trusted this or I looked to outside things to try to solve it. So, Lord, first of all, we're thankful for grace that picks us up. And, Lord, I pray that that same grace would sustain me as I desire to live in a way that would honor and please you alone. And so I pray that you've been encouraged already this morning by the time of worship and the time of singing. And so um, we do need to get to the message because we've got communion and I've got four pages of notes. So we got to go. We got to fly. So just hold on. And as I say every, I try to say every week, if not every couple of weeks, if you do want a copy of the notes, please let me know. I'm more than fine to send you a copy of whatever uh, I have here. Whether they'll make sense to you is a whole different Subject, but you should be fine if you studied hieroglyphics and you're familiar with foreign languages. You'll be able to read my writing and my my language very well. This morning we are continuing our series, Chasing Carrots, and uh, this is week two. We started off the new year talking about this idea of chasing carrots, the endless pursuit of something more. And what we started talking about last week is this idea that we can fall into this trap of thinking, if I can just get that, then I'll be happy then I'll be content. Then I'll be satisfied. If I could just get that job, then everything will be okay. If I could just get that relationship, if I could just get him or her to like me and to agree to go out with me and agree to get engaged and agree to marry me, then everything will be fine. If I could just get that raise, then everything's going to be fine. If I could just get that house, you know, because I don't like where I'm now, but if I can just get that house or I can get in there, I could just get that car or that cabin or that whatever it is. We chase and we pursue and we chase and we pursue and we just want more. And if you're honest with yourself, you're going to realize that as you perceive that that thing will give you more, you chase it, you chase it, you chase it. And then guess what? You get it, right? You achieve it. You get the job, you get the girl, you get the guy, you get the raise, you get the house, you get the car, whatever it is, boom, now you've got it. 
And you know what's so common of so many? They'll sit back after they've achieved and done what they thought, that one thing, that would satisfy me. And they look at it and they think to themselves, wow, I thought I'd be more satisfied. I thought I would feel fuller. I thought I would be more happy. I thought I would be more content. And I shared the story last week again about that athlete after achieving his greatest goal of winning a championship, sitting in a hot tub with some other guys, just relaxing, looking at their rings and going, I thought this would be more. I mean, I lived my whole life for this one thing to achieve this championship. And I achieved what I wanted to achieve. And outside of Christ, Every single time we start to pursue something as more than someone in Christ, we will always find ourselves dissatisfied and discontented. But we said it last week. Why is that so true? Because we were not designed to be fully satisfied with the things in this world. You were designed by your creator God to be satisfied fully and only in him alone. And then when you realize that, that in Christ, you literally have all you could ever need or want, then as God does bring blessings into our lives, as God, God does give us a raise or a different job or a relationship or whatever it is, as he brings those blessings into our lives, that's just icing. That, that's just bonus. That's, that's good things. And we praise God for it. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, but we don't live in the pursuit of icing. Right now, I know some of you are like, but I like icing. Some of you are like me and you get a cupcake and you don't want the cake. You just want the stuff on top. Right. When my kids were little, they would do that. They would just lick all the frosting off and put it back. And I'd go by and go, I can't believe they would do that. And then I would just leave it, not do anything with it. But it's, it's, it's just how we can be tempted in this world. But it's not just stuff sometimes, right? It's not just, as we're going to talk about this morning, the stuff of life. Over the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at that pursuit of perfectionism, to be perfect. See, some of us are wired that way, and you think if it's not perfect, it's not going to work. Some of us are pursuing approval. If I could just get the approval of this person or these people, if I could just get them to like me, if I could get them to respect me, if I could get them to acknowledge that I'm okay, that I'm doing a good job, that they actually, you know, secretly I want to be envied by them. I want them to actually envy the job I'm doing and go, wow, I could never do what this person does. Some of us are pursuing this idea of approval and, and wanting to be accepted. In the last week, we're going to talk about the pursuit of comfort. The pursuit of comfort. So that one you might want to pray about before you come into service, because that's going to be a fun one. Uh, but I'm honestly, genuinely excited. I really am excited for the coming weeks. I'm excited for where we've been, what we're doing this morning, and where we're going, because I truly believe that God can use these few weeks to drastically change how we view this life and our pursuits in this life. And I know it's New Year's. I love what the video talked about, but it's, it's not an emotional thing either. It, it, now, let me just be clear. It, it has to be a truth thing first, an emotional thing second. It's got to be a truth thing. No, God 
by his grace, has sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to save me from my sins. And now in Christ, through faith, I have a relationship with God, sealed into the day of redemption. And one day I will step from this world into the next and be in the full joy and pleasure and rest of the Lord, completely satisfied, completely healed, whole, and fully known of God and to know him. I'm going to experience that. And it's all because of grace. It's all because of him. And it's great to know those things, but I want to transition from just thinking, I can't wait to get there. But because of all those things being true in our life, man, it should really drastically affect how we live our life. It should drastically affect every single morning. I should get up and think, Lord, this is your day you've given me. This is your breath in my lungs. This is your strength you've given me. This is your wisdom you've given me. So whatever I do today, whatever happens today, this is your day. And you be glorified in my day. Be glorified in my conversations. Be glorified in my entertainment. Be glorified in how I talk to my children and my spouse. Be glorified in how I interact with other people. Be glorified when I'm driving down 53 and someone wants to pass me, even though I'm going 60 miles an hour and they almost kill everyone on the road. Lord, be glorified. Because if I don't give that moment to him, we're going over and we're, there's a whole thing. Lord, this is your day. Lord, you control the pursuits of my life. And so before we even get into the topic this morning, I want to remind us that although we've been dealing with some specific topics last week, moving forward into the coming weeks, we're going to talk about some different topics and areas of our life. We must allow any and all life change to flow out of a continual study of the whole of God's word. Let me say that again. We must allow any and all life change. We're talking about those big changing moments. You know, Lord, I want to give this to you. I'm going to surrender my job to you, my family to you. I want to, those kind of big decisions we make, which really big decisions are just a lot of little decisions, right? Right? We don't wake up in the morning and go, Lord, I'm going to give my life to you. That's a huge goal. (laughs) But how do we, how do we validate that? How do we check that? How do I know? Am I giving him my whole life? See, really giving him your whole life is a great spiritual sounding goal. But let's maybe start with, Lord, I'm going to give you today. Lord, I'm going to give you this conversation. Lord, I'm going to give you this person. As a parent today, maybe the first place we start, and I know this is hard for me, and Sandra and I have talked about this for years when the boys were real young. Maybe you start by saying, Lord, I'm going to give my children to you. Because, Lord, you love my children more than I ever could. You have a greater plan for my children than I ever could. You have a greater desire for my children than I ever could. And by the way, Lord, you may have a different plan than I would have for my children. And it's so much better. I've shared it before. When when a, a Christian student in high school tells their parents that they're being called to missions, that Christian parent better encourage and support and love on them and create opportunities for them to serve in that area. Not say things like, there's no financial security there. There's no future there. There's no guarantees there. It's dangerous where you want to go. Man, as Christian parents, I know it's really hard, but we have to go, Lord, that's your child. You're just allowing me the gracious time to parent this child. But that's really your child. That's really your son or daughter in Christ. And so maybe we start there. But the point is, as we... Allow any and all life change as it comes out of our life. We must allow any and all life change to flow out of a continual study of the whole 
of God's word. What I mean by that is this. We don't go to God's word for topics. Now, it's great to go and say, what does the Bible say about this or that? That's fine. What I mean is, in just the daily flow of studying God's word and memorizing God's word, it's in that time that God is going to start to put out, point out some specifics in your life. Point out some areas you need to work on. It's in that daily, continual, just living in a time of God's word. That's where God, by the Spirit, is going to say, as you're reading a passage, he's just going to gently, not audibly, but as the Spirit does move you to realize, hey, you need to deal with that. You need to address this. Hey, I want to remind you of my love for you in this verse. And it's those times that I think, if we aren't careful, there's nothing wrong with going in and saying, what does the Bible say about this specific area? Like, let's use an easy one, prayer. I want to know what the Bible says about prayer. So I do a study on just prayer in scripture. That's great. That's fine. But often the most learning and application we're going to get from God's word is just in the general study of God's word. And through that, we start to learn things about prayer, about study, about worship. And so again, it's, it's fine to address topics, but let's make sure we're not just going to it when we want to know about a certain topic. It's a daily thing. We're just constantly in God's word. And that's how God will equip us with knowledge in the specifics. And so as we get into this topic this morning, I want to kind of address that. We can talk about topics, but let's make sure it's part of a continual of the whole study. This morning, and I really do need to get going. So don't let me do that again. If I start drifting... Just throw something at me, something. Holler at me, something. This morning, we're going to be talking about the pursuit of money and stuff. Money and stuff. And so I think this is a good timing for this because many of you just bought Christmas presents for your children. And I'm just curious. After, I don't know, a week, maybe three days after Christmas, do any of you, I'm just being real, let's just, it's church, we got to tell the truth now. Have any of you, you saw your child play with that gift the first day and loved it, and then a couple days go by, and have you noticed it's just kind of in the room now? You know what I'm saying? It's kind of pushed off to the side. Any parents seeing this? Anyone noticing this? No? A couple? Okay. A couple hands sheepishly go up, maybe? Okay. I can tell you that's true of us. There's something we got to boil, my one son, and, and he played with it a couple of days, my younger son, and now it's kind of pushed in the corner with the other toys, and I ain't seen it played with in a few days. Now I know what you're thinking. Well, he'll get to it sooner or later. My point is, that's how we can treat so much stuff in our lives. We actually think, I need that. I want that. I need that. I have to have that thing, that one thing. And then we get it, and we go, oh, this is so cool. And by the way, it's no different from kids to adults. Okay, we don't say the same things, but in your head, you're like, this is really cool, and I really like that I have this, okay? And you kind of do brag on it to your friends like you did when you were a kid, right? When you got that first Nintendo and you were, like, going to, like, fifth grade and you were like, I'm playing Super Mario Brothers 3. What are you doing? I'm like, you know, this is awesome, okay? We still do that as adults. We do it more subtly, right? But we still do it. We're tempted to do it anyway. But as we get this stuff, this thing, and all of a sudden, do you notice that sometimes it gets pushed to the back a little bit after a little while? doesn't seem to really have that same appeal because, oh, look, they came out with a newer one, a better one. Oh, my, you know, I joke with Sandra, uh, our TV in our living room, I think it's like a 55-inch TV or something, okay? And uh, notice how I acted like I really didn't know how big it was because I'm not into that, but I totally know it's 55 inches. But anyway, <laughs> it's something like that. I don't know. 
But I always tease her. We go to like, you know, Walmart or, or uh, Best Buy or anything like that. Just go walking around and stuff. And I'm always like, man, have you seen the prices of these 65-inch TVs? <laughs> they have come down a lot. And she says the same thing every time. What's wrong with the TV we have? Well, I mean, nothing. It works if you like that kind of thing or whatever. I actually told her, I said, because we have it wall mounted now, and there's some space around between the bottom of the TV and our sound bar on our little mantle. And I was like, you know, we've got tons of room there. We could fit another 10 inches around that. It'd be. But you know what's funny is when I, I don't think about it until I walk in the store, I see it, right? I see the big TV. Really, nothing against having a big TV, whatever. But the point is, why is that even a pull? Why does it even matter, right? And you know what will happen? You buy the bigger TV and you put it up and, oh, this is great, blah, blah, blah. And then they come up with a better one. And you go, oh, this thing stinks. Look at this picture. It's horrible. You want to talk about horrible pictures? The first TV we had sat on the floor in this giant box. (laughs) And I was the remote control. I had to go up and change the channel. (laughs) Two, four, seven, right? That was the channels we had. Had to wait for the thing to warm up, right? Yeah, see, that's, that, was, that was a memory right there. They remembered, come on, I just want to watch some shows. You know the worst part about, you guys should have stopped me. You let me keep going though. So, you know the worst part about the bigger TVs, the old TVs, the pitcher tube TVs? It takes a while to warm, like to get cool, right? To, to warm down. So when you sneak and watch TV when you're not supposed to, mm, preach, come on. And you try to real quick turn the TV off when your parents pull in the driveway. And your parent walks over and puts their hand on the back of the TV. You guys know what I'm saying. And they look at you and they go, you were watching TV, weren't you? And they're like, oh, how did you do that? You're like, psychic. It was a couple years later, I was like, oh, it's warm. Like, that's how they know. But we can do this. We can start pursuing things and it becomes about the stuff. But the point is this, the stuff only appeals for so long. And you know, there's dumpsters, there's trash heaps filled with stuff that people thought they had to have and couldn't live without. And now it's just junk. It's garage sale material. It's nothing. It's, it's, it means nothing. See, stuff is something that we can be tempted to pursue, but not just stuff. We also are tempted to pursue money. If there is one thing that we can all agree on, it's the pull from our culture to have more and more, to be wealthy, to be successful. That true success comes in the form of money and stuff. We are tempted to pursue money and possessions and even twist scripture you want to, I, I promise I won't go going on that one too much, but if you want to really get me going, we can have a conversation, but I just get so irritated when I see people stand behind a pulpit and preach scriptures and then use those same scriptures to try to convince you that it's the stuff in your driveway or the stuff in your house or in your bank account that dictates God's favor in your life. It's garbage. It's nonsense. You have all the favor of God you could ever need or want in Christ through the Spirit of God. You don't need to be proven that reality. You have it in Christ. People even twist Scripture to make it seem like it's actually God's desire that we forsake all else in the pursuit of wealth. 
I want to go to a, a verse in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 and verse 15. If you're re- using one of the Bibles provided in the seats there, there are some Bibles provided. If you're using one of those, you can turn to page 729. 729. We're going to be in Luke chapter 12 and verse 15. Luke chapter 12 and verse 15. And he said unto them, and we're going to break down the whole context in just a moment, but we're just going to start in verse 15. And he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness, or that word is greed. Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not, consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Man, I wish we could get this. I wish I could get this sometimes in my own life. And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of greed or covetousness, for a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Let's pray. Father, as we continue this morning, Lord, just so thankful for this time. Lord, I pray that you would change us this morning. And Lord, I know again, when we get on topics like this, there's someone in the room that's thinking, Oh, I... I'm so glad that pastor's preaching on something like this because I'm sure other people need to hear it. But me, Lord, I, you know, there's somebody sitting here, Lord, that says, I don't, I don't battle with that. And maybe they don't. Lord, maybe there's people in this room that seriously could go without any money, any stuff. They just, it's just not about that in their life. They just are free from that. Lord, I pray that they would not disconnect from what we're talking about this morning because, Lord, there's a really good chance that someone in their life is battling this very same thing. Consumed by the very same things. Weighed down by the very same things. And so, Lord, if there's someone here that really, honestly, this is not an area where they feel a pull or a temptation, Lord, I thank you for that. Thank you for freeing them from that. If it was once a bondage in their lives, or, Lord, maybe it's something they've never really struggled with. Lord, I pray that you would just be glorified in that as a victory in their lives. But, Lord, for the one that is here today, That maybe it's not a constant thing, but it's once in a while. They just feel that pull. They feel that pressure that somehow to be successful, they have to have the stuff and the money and the things. And they begin to believe the lie that their life consists of their stuff. That the amount of stuff matters more than a relationship with you. Lord, maybe there are even believers here today that know you as Savior, but still get wrapped up in all this. Lord, I pray that we would know we can be thankful for the blessings, but guarded in the pursuit. As we said before, Lord, there's nothing wrong with being famous from last week. It's the pursuit of fame that can lead us away from you focused or us focused on you in our hearts and minds and focused on our love for others. In the same way, Lord, there's nothing wrong with having stuff and having money, but it's the pursuit of those things that can change the trajectory of our hearts and minds away from you away from others that you've called us to minister to and focus it on self and selfishness. And so, Father, give us wisdom as only you can by the working of your spirit. Be glorified again, Lord, in all of this. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. This comment that Christ make is actually found in a parable, 
of Jesus' teaching called the rich fool. The rich fool. The statement Jesus is something, this statement that Jesus makes is something I believe many of us, especially in our culture, could gain much learning. A man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. See, even as uh, in our culture, but even as men in our culture, I can speak more to as a man what what I believe our culture teaches men. It's, it's, it's you get a job, get the money, get the stuff, be envied, have things. That's what it means to be successful as a man. Build your kingdom. Have others drive by your kingdom and go, I wish my lawn looked like that. Wish my house looked like that. I wish I had that set in the hallway or the driveway. That's why as men, we have to be guarded and make sure we're not falling into a broken male culture that our culture is pushing on us. That it's somehow more important the stuff we have than the person we are in Christ and who Christ is in us. You see, I want to dive into this portion of scripture and discover how we can apply it to our lives. So we're going to kind of look at the big picture here, kind of understand what Jesus is saying and what brought him to that statement in verse 15. The first thing we have to note here is the heart is revealed in our pursuits. We talked about motives last week. The heart, our heart is revealed in our pursuits. What you pursue, what consumes you, what drives you reveals your heart. In Luke chapter 12 and verses 13 and 14, we see what I'm just going to label as the question. The question. Verse 13. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? This is really interesting. Jesus responds to a concern kind of a question from someone in the crowd. And this man's question and his concern is pretty practical. I think we can, many, many of us can understand this about a man, about his brother and this man, the brother would not evenly divide the inheritance with him. So this, I mean, we can understand this in our culture today. There's these two brothers. Apparently there's an inheritance and the one brother doesn't evenly divide it with his other brother and the brother's upset. He's mad. He feels like he's being cheated. He feels like he's being a short end of a deal. And he asks Jesus, hey, make sure my brother does this right. Tell him, and I always love when people do this to Jesus, like tell him he needs to do this and he needs to divide it evenly. And I love what Jesus says here. It's not really a question, but it kind of plays like a question. More or less, this man saying, do you think it's fair, Jesus, that my brother's doing this? Do you think it's fair that he's cheating me, that he's shorting me? Don't you think he should do it this way? Jesus, you should do something about this. And I love that, that Jesus here, as a teacher, which is really the word there for master, in the verse it says, and said unto him, Master, speak to my brother. That word master is the word teacher. Specifically, it means a teacher who teaches the things of God and the duties of man. The things of God and the duties of man. As such, it was common for a teacher like Christ was perceived to be, or a rabbi, to settle such issues. To divide or to say what was fair or to kind of get involved here and make sure it's done right according to God's word and how we should be living with each other. But Jesus doesn't really speak to the specific issue. He doesn't say, yeah, you're right. Your brother's wrong. Do this. He actually goes beyond that and uses it as a teaching moment because Jesus is the best teacher, right? 
He uses it as a teaching moment to get beyond the simple surface level issue and get to the real problem. And I love that he says here to this man, who made me a judge or divider over you? Now, is Jesus a judge over this man? He is the judge. But he's trying to get this man to think about the fact that why are you coming to me? Who am I to you? You don't believe. You don't know. You don't trust me as Savior. You're just coming to me because you want me to get on your side. This, this, this will preach, by the way. This is real. People in your life will come to you and ask wisdom from you. And they really don't want you to give them true wisdom. What do they want? Just agree with me, right? Just tell me I'm doing the right thing. Just tell me I'm okay. Agree with me and say, yeah, they're all wrong. This is, this is common. This happens all the time. I've done this. You've done this. And that's what this man wants. Hey, this Jesus, he'll step in. He'll make it right. He'll make sure I get what I need and what I want. You see, Jesus actually warns in this context against greed or covetousness and teaches an entire parable on it because that was the real problem between the brothers. It wasn't a financial issue. It wasn't a legal issue. It was a heart issue. It was an issue of the heart. Last week, we said it, and it still comes true this week. It's a question of motives. So let's pause for a second here. Why, you don't have to answer out loud, but why do you think this brother wanted more inheritance? He got some of it, right? He doesn't say he didn't get any of it. He said divide it evenly. He got some of it, but apparently the brother got more, and he's mad about that. So why do you think this man wanted more money? Why do we in our culture want to pursue wealth? Why do we want more stuff? Why do you want that thing that you think you can't live without? That's a question of motives of the heart. Why are we pursuing these things? Another question to consider. Whose pleasure is being pursued? Ours or the Lord's? Whose pleasure is being pursued? Ours, it's all about me, what makes me happy, what makes me feel good. Just give me what makes me feel good. Or is it the Lord's pleasure? And how is the Lord pleased? By a life that is surrendered and submitted and pleasing to him. So whose pleasure is being pursued? Now, this doesn't mean that we don't enjoy and take pleasure in the blessing that God gives us and the finances that God blesses us with for hard work and things that we do. Fine, nothing wrong with that. But there's a big difference between being appreciative and enjoying the blessings of God and pursuing our own pleasure above all else, even to the point of forsaking the things that God would have us to do. Jesus goes on in the parable here. So we're going to read that together in verse 16. So we read verse 15. Look at verse 16, the beginning of this parable. And a parable, if you don't know, a parable is just an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's just a story that Jesus is going to use to, to illustrate a spiritual principle. And so verse 16. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, listen now, verse 17, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, I love this. This is so us. 
Because I talk to myself all the time. You can talk to yourself. It's not good to argue with yourself. Unless yourself wants to do something that you don't want to do, then argue with yourself. But you can talk to yourself as long as you come out on top for Christ. So, verse 19. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Man, can you just, you can hear the arrogance, can't you? The pride. Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, I love this. We can tell our souls a lot of things. We can say to ourselves a lot of things. It really doesn't matter as much as when God says, let me tell you something. But God said unto him, thou, what's the word? Thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? A rich man had such a great harvest. He had to build bigger barns to hold it. Then decided, there is so much, I can take it easy and just relax for a couple years and not worry about anything and just eat, drink, and be merry. Just, just live it up. Because, man, look at what I've done. By the way, do you notice Jesus, and I don't believe Jesus is anything by accident. This is my opinion. Okay, you can disagree with me. That's fine. You can be wrong. All good. But in this verse, do you notice in the parable what produced the plentiful Harvest? Does it say the farmer did that? It says the ground did that. I find that extremely interesting that Jesus is saying the ground produced this harvest. Guess what that means? God produced that harvest. By the way, when you, if, those of you that farm, those of you that garden, okay, we've, we've tried gardening. We, Sandra's really good at gardening. I, I don't have any real say in the garden. I get the garden ready. I till the garden. I put the fence around the garden. I put, I do stuff in the garden. And then I look at her and go, what do you want to do? She goes, put that in the ground. I put it in the ground and then I don't touch it again until she goes, go pick that stuff. And I go, okay, I'll go pick that stuff. And I go pick that stuff. I have no say in the garden because you don't want me near your garden once stuff starts trying to grow. It's just something about me. I get near the garden, it dies. I don't know what it is. But do you, do you ever notice when you plant something in the ground? Do we nurture it? Yes. Do we care for it? Yes. But do you make that corn grow? Do you make that stuff come out of the ground? No, that is a gift from God that God created in such a way that things produce after its kind. Genesis. By the way, literal Genesis. And so when, when that corn, that little seed you plant creates a stalk of corn, and you can pick that and eat that, that's God's grace right there on display. That's God's provision. And so what did this man do? Was this man thankful for his harvest? Sure. But he wasn't thankful for his harvest so that he could go, God, praise you for your grace to me. He was saying, look what I've done. Look at the plentiful harvest I've created. Jesus says he is a fool. Because he is going to die that very night. Now, again, this is not a literal story. Um, this may have happened many times over, but just as a parable, which means this is a figurative story. This, this, there really wasn't a man, most likely. There really wasn't a barn. Jesus is just telling a story. But I believe we can see in this story the reality of how this can happen very easily in our lives. Jesus says the man is a fool because he is going to die that night. And all that he has is now going to someone else. All that stuff you have, 
You can't take it with you. There's only one thing you can take with you, and that's your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. See, even your good works you do for Christ, you don't take those with you so much. You're storing them up before you get there. That's what the Bible says, that we're storing up treasures now to be enjoyed when we get there. But you don't take that car with you. I've done a lot of funerals. Again, yesterday I had the blessed privilege to be a part of the homegoing of two amazing women who loved Christ. We didn't put anything in the ground with them, but just them. Just being real. That bank account you fuss over and freak out over, it ain't going with you. It's going to someone else. You might say, well, yeah, but I want to take care of my family. That's great. You can do that and still honor God. You can do that and still pursue Christ above all things. This man was selfish and didn't think about how God could even use his possessions or how it could bless others. Do you notice that? He doesn't go, man, look at this great harvest. I could feed the poor with all this. He says, oh, no, I'm just going to take it easy and eat, drink, and be merry. He didn't think about how his possessions and his blessings could actually be used to bless God and bless others. He merely thought of the ease it would bring his life. He had a love for his wealth. Remember, again, being wealthy is not a sin. However, the love of wealth, the love of money, is the root of all evil. 1 Timothy 6.10 A popular verse on this idea of greed and pursuing wealth is also found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. I'm just going to read the verse for us. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, I've heard some that will say, well, that's just a principle verse. No, no, Jesus was being very specific here. The word mammon translates to money. Jesus, knowing our tendency as human beings to be drifted and pulled into the possessions and the money and the finances and all of that, specifically says in the New Testament, you cannot serve God and money. Now, you might want to put a different word in there and say, well, I don't struggle with money, so I'll put this word in there. Fine, but that's not what the verse says. The verse says money, specifically money. The New Living Translation translates that last part of the verse, and I find it interesting. It says you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. A question we ask, and it's a common question. I've asked it before. You've probably asked it of yourself. Do you own your money or does your money own you? Do you own your finances or do your finances own you? Are they a tool and a resource that God has blessed you with to provide for your family and for your needs in this world? Or is it a bondage that's over you? Do you own your money or does your money own you? So there's good news and bad news with all of this. And we're going to break that down quickly. Good news and bad news. The good news. We are rich. Okay, so, all right, you didn't, okay, you don't agree with me, that's fine. You're like, preacher, you're preaching in the wrong church, okay? We are rich. Remember that parable we are in Luke chapter 12? Go back there with me. How does Jesus conclude this parable, this time? And remember, the original story was this guy was upset about his brother not splitting the inheritance with him. Remember, Jesus still hasn't even addressed that. He didn't tell the brother to do this or do that. He merely says, hey, you better guard your heart against greed 
And then he tells a story about a man that wanted more and lost his very soul in the process. Verse 21 of Luke 12. As he talked about this individual, he says this, So is he that lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. So what's the application? What's the spiritual principle we need to understand? That if we will pursue the things of this world, the wealth and the possessions, and just build our own kingdoms, thinking that that's what it's all about, and we don't realize our very soul needs to give an account to God for our sin. We have not confessed our sins. We have not received Christ. We are trusting in our stuff. He says that person is a fool. And so is anyone else, Jesus says that believes that it's more important to lay up treasures for himself than to be rich towards God. So if you're here today and you're laying up treasures for yourself, you're thinking about, oh man, I can't wait till I can retire and then I'll really live it up. I can't wait till I get to this point financially, then I'll really live it up. Instead of thinking, God, you've blessed me with this job. You've blessed me with this fi- these finances. I pray I would use it wisely for my needs and be a blessing to others. There's two very different ways to live right there. And by the way, work is not a curse. It's not a part of the curse. Work is a blessing of God. God has given us the blessing of work. Adam worked in the garden before the fall. It's now we have to work in not great ideal situations. Now we have to work with thorns and thistles and it's difficult work by the sweat of our brow. But work, according to Genesis, is a gift from God. And so many of us in our American culture think, I just can't wait to get done working. Man, You've been given a blessing to work. I mean, go to your job tomorrow with excitement to say, this is where God has called me. This plant, this factory, this school, this whatever, this is my mission field. You've called me here. But you know what happens? Many Christians get to their job and they forget it's a mission field. They forget they're a representative of Christ. They get sucked into the cultural norms of their job. They complain about the boss. They complain about the hours. They try to cheat things. They try to get around things. And they stop being a testimony for Christ and start looking just like everyone else. And God is saying, but man, I planted you there for a purpose. So when your coworkers are complaining about the boss, you step up and say, man, I'm thankful for this job. I'm going to pray for my boss. I'm going to pray for those in charge of me. Yeah, they don't always treat me right. That's fine. You suffer for Jesus and you just love your enemies. But but you don't understand. They don't do me right at my job. That's fine. You are a suffering servant of Christ. Where did Jesus say it was going to be easy to live for Jesus in this world? He didn't. You live for Jesus. You love your enemies. When your boss is treating you like a jerk... But then you find out something's going on in his life or her life. You go to him and say, can I, how can I pray for you about that? How can I serve you? Hey, how are you doing with that? Hey, I heard you were in the hospital. You feeling okay? See, that's how we use our job, our work as a blessing. It also provides for us. Now, some of you might be stay-at-home moms or, or stay-at-home dads. And you might think, well, what do I do? Do you realize you've been given a great blessing to disciple your very family and that's your job? You're a discipler. God has gifted you with the ability to nurture and care for your family in a way that you never could at a job site. And you're blessed to do that. And so whatever it is that God has called you to, we are rich. Jesus says that we can be rich towards God. So what does that mean? We got to go. We're almost, we're we're out of time, but we're going to keep going. Just nobody look at your watch. Okay. Just pretend time has stopped. Rich towards God means the idea of seeing all wealth, all things come from God. Write it down. James chapter 1 verse 17. Every good gift, everything comes from God. 
He blesses us, and we are rich towards God. One author said it well, rich towards God means spiritual enrichment, not mere personal enjoyment. I love that. Rich towards God means spiritual enrichment, not mere personal enjoyment. It's more than just personal pleasure. It's I have a position as a son and daughter of God. I am rich towards God. My sin is forgiven. I have a relationship with him. I am rich. I am full. I am satisfied. Not only are we rich in Christ and in his salvation, many of us, globally speaking, are rich in material possessions and finances. Now, you may not see it that way. You open that checkbook, you click on that bank account, and you go, mm, preacher, got to disagree with you there for a moment. Until you stop and you realize, globally speaking, how much of the world lives on or on less than $10 a day. Vast amounts of our, of our, of our world live on or less than $10 a day. Some of you go to dinner and spend five times that on a meal. When you realize, globally speaking, we're not just rich in this room towards Christ and towards God because of our salvation. We are actually rich financially, globally speaking. We have been blessed in this country. Is everything great? No. Do you like where everything's going? No, I don't either. But I'm telling you, you are rich. God is blessed in tremendous ways, which leads to the bad news, which isn't really bad news at all. The bad news is that we are responsible. Because we are rich, we are responsible. Christians that are blessed by God financially are responsible as we are with our time and talents and serving to the Lord. So the question I've asked is, what are we doing with our blessing? What are we doing with our wealth? We are called to surrender our blessings so that others may be blessed. First Timothy six eighteen and 19. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life or eternal life. That those who are blessed, that they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Let me just side note here. How is it I can be ready to share and generous? It's by making wise decisions with my finances that God has blessed me with, little or great. I haven't always done that. I'll be honest. I haven't always made good financial decisions. Even to this day, I still at times will struggle and go, I probably shouldn't have done that. Again, I'm so thankful for grace and the renewal to be able to revive and say, God, I'm going to give this to you today. But how is it I can be generous? It's because I've been wise with my finances and I've strived to live without debt. That's our goal as Christians to not have debt. Why? So if I don't have debt, I can be generous. But if you have debt, your money is not really yours. That's Capital One's money. That's Bank of America's money. That's, that's this money. That's that. They all own that money. But man, if we strive by God's grace to make wise decisions financially, which again, I know we all struggle in this. We all do. We can, get, we can grow in this area. We can see God's wisdom in this. And then to strive to either start to be or continue to be debt-free. Why? And it's going to take time, but why? So we can be generous. We can be a blessing to others as God would call us to be. A key that we have to understand this morning is God has blessed me with more than I need. I'm rich. 
that 55-inch TV that I have hanging above my fireplace, I don't need that. I don't need that. A closet full of clothes, I don't need that. I mean, God has blessed me and I'm appreciative of it, but I don't need those things. He's blessed me with more than I need. So because I am rich, I will not trust in my riches, but in him who richly provides. Because I have more, I will give more and do more. So that's the key of this morning. Because we are rich, because he blesses greatly, whatever that looks like for you. Again, I understand what you're thinking. Man, I'm not like somebody else. That's fine. God's not asking you to be responsible for somebody else. He's asking you to be responsible for yourself. But because he's blessed you where he's blessed you, whether little or great, I have more than I could ever want. So because of that, I will give more and do more. Quickly, I can't leave Luke chapter 12 without addressing just quickly the last part of Luke 12. So Luke 12, I want to note something that I believe is purposeful of Christ's teaching on the subject of pursuing wealth. Jesus begins this teaching in Luke 12 in verse 22 to the disciples. And if you notice in verse 22, look at it with me quickly. And he said unto the disciples, therefore. Now, the word therefore there, and I have to say it, it's there for a reason. It's there because what he just said, all of that stuff he said in chapter 12 to this point, he's saying, therefore, because of all of that, now let me tell you something. Don't ignore the rest of the text and then go to verse 22. It's all linked together. So he says in verse 22, the word therefore, which connects to the previous verses, 13 through 21. This also connects back to even Jesus's message in Luke 12, 6 and 7. But in verses 23 through 34, we see this beautiful passage about worry and stress. About worry and stress. We see that worry comes when we are consumed with pursuing wealth. To summarize, Jesus says, don't worry about your life, your daily life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Don't worry about those things. Let me say, so should I not plan for that? Should I not prepare for that? No, we work, we plan, we prepare. We don't fear and worry about those things. This implies where those things come from and how they are not the point of life. You see, the rich farmer in our parable worried because he had too much. What am I going to do with all this? I guess I'll just build bigger barns and take it easy. He worried because he had too much. The disciples, however, in their pursuit of Christ, as they're beginning this journey of following Christ, their worry might be different. It's not the disciples thinking, oh, I'm going to have so much following Christ. They're actually thinking, we're not going to have anything following Christ. You see, their worry was, we're not going to have enough. How are we going to provide for ourselves? Jesus gives, in those verses, practical examples of God's gracious provision. In Luke 23 through 34, he gives us three examples. Ravens, lilies, and the grass. Ravens, lilies, and the grass. And in all three examples, he points out that all of them do not provide for themselves but live off of the provision of God's goodness and God's grace. Jesus says that we are worth so much more than those things. So if you find yourself worried or fearful of what you don't have, take a moment and ask yourself, if the things you think you need are true needs, or are you pursuing money and stuff in the hope it will make you happy and content? 
How can you and I focus less on what we don't have and more on what God has graciously given us? Let's realize that in Christ, our deepest needs and desires are met apart from what others think or what's in our checking account. Someone else may think less of you because you don't have all the stuff. That's fine. You're not living for their approval. You're living for Christ's approval. And if you have Christ, you please him, you live for him, and you enjoy it. And if our world says you're a failure because you don't have the stuff, that's fine. We don't live for the world's pleasure. We don't live to impress the world. We don't live to impress our neighbors. We live in a reflection of God's gracious love to us. So however God would apply this to your life, I pray that he would do so by his spirit. Let's pray. Father, as we move into a time of invitation, a time of reflection, I pray, Lord, that you have been glorified in all that was said and done. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom and guidance as we strive to live in a way that would honor you. Lord, maybe there's somebody here today that is really struggling in this area, believing that their self-worth is wrapped up in their money and in their stuff. I pray they would know they are so much more than that. That you created them with intrinsic value and intrinsic worth. You died on the cross for their sins. And you call them and invite them into a relationship with you that they might have their sins forgiven and find eternal life. Father, for the believer here today that's battling, they know the truth, but they feel the pull. I pray that you would do what your word says and guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, that we would enjoy the blessings, yes, and be thankful for them and praise you for them, small or great, but we would not live for the possessions. We would not be satisfied in mere stuff, but we would hunger for more that we can only find in you, satisfied, complete, and full. Thank you for all of this. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as the band leads the song of invitation? Would you respond to what God is doing, whether you want to come forward and pray, maybe there in your seats, whatever it is, would you just respond to how God might be encouraging or motivating you to make a decision this morning? If you're trusting in money and stuff, it'll let you down. But if you turn to Christ, he'll never disappoint you. Would you respond this morning as we sing?